0: The CNBC app. Global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected. Stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Good morning and welcome to Sportbox. Here are your headlines. G20 finance chiefs agree a landmark tax deal and pledge to support the recovery. With Italy's central bank governor telling CNBC that ECB policy is helping inflation head in the right direction.
2: Until we are not well uh, somehow uh, moving uh, towards that target, I think we have to maintain all our instruments and we will discuss them in our meetings.
1: Asian equities rally after another record-breaking session on Wall Street and on the back of fresh policy support out of China.
0: Elsewhere, you've got Beijing increasing its crackdown on tech with pre-IPO security checks, whilst the government hits back at America's expanded blacklist, branding the move unreasonable suppression. Plus, you've got Chinese regulators blocking Tencent's proposed $5.3 billion merger of video game streaming sites Huya and Douyu uh, on antitrust grounds.
1: and football's gone to Rome. Italy come from behind to beat England on penalties, winning the Euro 2020 tournament. Different moods playing out across Europe today. A very downbeat day will be for Europe uh, in uh, England today. What we've got here across the capital, I've got to say, driving into London, just uh, leftover rubbish on the streets and uh, lots of downbeat faces. Those that you have seen, but it's probably a different story in Italy as you're seeking from those scenes. And let's take a look at the markets and what we had the handover from Wall Street. Uh, very much uh, a day in the green, records across the board. So a real hat trick for the major markets. We've not seen that for a while. Where we had in a concert, the, the Dow, the S&P and the Nasdaq all claiming fresh records, big moving stocks. They've actually been moving to the downside in a couple of the recent sessions where a couple of big drivers to the upside, the likes of Apple and Goldman Sachs. But uh, when it comes to the amount of records you've now seen on the NASDAQ in particular, the tech heavy index, the 23rd record so far for this year, which is just extraordinary, but tells you about the strength of that technology story. But at the same time, getting back into the game, the reflation story. But uh, don't forget the markets have been very closely Eyeing what has happened on the inflation journey, we've had that U.S. 10-year yield peeling back. Investors closely have been watching that component of the market that, in fact, rattled some investors last week when it got down to that one and a quarter percent. Take a look at uh, the Treasury Board and you can see how it is currently perched. A little bit firmer than that, 1.35% is where we are trading. But all eyes are on inflation this week. Consumer prices coming out Tuesday. Then we've got some testimony from JPAR later in the week. But investors uh, are closely saying what that language looks like around the consumer numbers. And you can see... As a result, uh, we're well and truly off those levels that we had back in March of 1.7 percent plus. Uh, the early look at some of the big safe havens on the markets—that's uh, where investors have actually been wandering to. Uh, gold prices had been a little bit supported over the course of last week, and dollar too. As a result, uh, 1802 in the morning session, bullion just pulling back from some of those high ranges, but dollar has uh, very much been supported at this stage. It has been a dollar strength story. Uh, what we've got on the Asian markets—the uh, big story has been. The cut to the triple R from the Chinese, which has effectively unleashed about 135, $154 billion from the banking system. This is seen a somewhat of a dovish, tweaking move, but it does send quite a strong signal to commodity markets down the track about some of the weakening that we're starting to see across on that mainland market. And you can see Shanghai today responding nine-tenths higher the firmer ranges you're seeing on the Japanese stock market in particular. You've got a bounce there of 2.1%, and that is a pickup from some of the lows we saw last week, where there was a little bit of wobble for some of those global markets during the trading session last week. But uh, Steve, let me toss it over to you. I hope you managed a, a couple of hours' sleep.
0: <laughs> I was just about to come to you on the same day. Did you have? A full night's sleep. You sound way too sprightly this morning. Karen. I
1: was totally fine, as you know. You know, football not being my bag. I, I am quite well rested. About the only person, I think, in London at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did you stay up for the whole game?
1: No, of course not. <laughs> I'm sure no, you did. It doesn't though.
0: sound like you did either, actually. You stayed up, right? <laughs> uh, not everything. I, I, I stayed up for most of it, I have to say. i I, I, I Oh, I kind of felt the writing might have been on the wall but look look right. the good news is we can both speak this morning so yeah, that's but, good uh, the uh, unlike some the of our though this morning, steve
1: i got to say we've got a sleepy lot in the gallery yeah. today
0: i know I know. Look, I'm not going to name names, but I'm just hoping that director Will can uh, manage to carry on speaking more than two words in one go. I, I, I think it's touch and go for the four hours of uh, European programming. I really I do. But he's a lovely lad, so he's going to do his best. Right, let's move on. <laughs> uh, G20 finance ministers, fun enough, meeting in Italy, have signed off on a global landmark tax deal that will establish a 15% global minimum tax rate and apparently deter multinationals from booking profits in low-tax jurisdictions. Now, in their communique, the G20 finance chiefs also pledged to keep pandemic stimulus measures in line with central bank policy, as well as help ensure vaccine access for developing countries and forge a framework for sustainable climate financing. Well, there's, there's a lot to unpack there, Anetta. but I think really what the international community and the markets are, are perhaps most interested in, now rightly or wrongly, uh, is about this tax agreement. We've seen all kinds of positive mood music about it. But, but let me just ask you one question as part of your coverage, and brilliant coverage, by the way, especially I'm sure Italy was stunningly noisy last night with the excitement of the football as well. But there is one sentence, and that is a carve-out agreement to encourage investment is possible for uh, countries. If you have a carve out agreement to encourage investments, how watertight will this tax deal be?
3: Yeah, that's still very open. I think those negotiations are now really starting with those countries who have lower tax rates than the proposed 15%, at least, when it comes to the minimum tax rate. So we're talking about the Irish, we're talking about Hungary, Estonia, but also others who need to sign up to to that uh, tax deal to make it happen, at least if you talk uh, about the European Union as an entity. So let me zoom out a little bit and bring you a, perhaps like an Overview on what we are really talking about. We have one pillar where we, um, uh, under which um, uh, the biggest 100 multinational companies should be taxed in a fairer way, meaning that they are going to be taxed where they also generate their revenues. That's one pillar that could actually be, according to Janet Yellen, a little bit more complicated to implement. The second pillar is the minimum tax rate of at least 15% across the globe, across those nations who are signing up for. And currently, as it stands, 90 uh, percent of the worldwide GDP in terms of countries have agreed to it. So the problem here is that, uh, as as I was saying, inside the European Union, there still needs to be a bit of like political horse trading, to put it mildly or diplomatically, in order to make the Irish, the Hungarian and also the Estonians sign up to that deal. Because in, in Europe, we need to have unanimity. You know, um, and so everybody has to Sign up to that, we can then um, transition that um, <clears throat> that law also into European law, and that is going to happen now. But people are actually quite confident here on the ground in Venice uh, over the weekend that this is going to happen, and be it by having some sort of incentive scheme. So, take a listen of what the finance ministers had to say. I will use the opportunity to try to explain why we think that the few remaining European Union countries that have not endorsed the inclusive framework, um, why we think it's in the world's interests and their interest to be part of the agreement.
0: So we will
2: discuss the point next week uh, with the three remaining European countries that still have some doubts about this uh, new international architecture and I'm talking about doubts. I'm not talking about
3: oppositions.
2: I'm very confident that we will get not just the agreement of a lot of member states of the European Union, but also of the Union as such. This was the case with all the agreements we reached on the global level on tax evasion. So I'm sure that this will be successful again. Being the G20, first of all, and uh, 132 countries uh, Agreeing, uh, representing more than 90% of worldwide GDP, uh, this obviously uh, put pressure on whole country to uh, to join. So what uh, we hope is that uh, uh, the agreement at the global level will create uh, conditions within Europe uh, to reach uh, uh, an agreement, uh, a full agreement within the European uh, Union.
3: So the OECD is estimating that this tax deal which they are calling here an historic tax deal on the ground could generate roughly 126 billion euro more in taxes and that comes handy at a time when all the countries in the world do spend a lot more money uh, in order to fight the pandemic. So um the <clears throat> the the, the road map now looks at such that there is now this convincing or political discussion back backdoor meetings to get the others in the camp. Uh, And then the leaders in October in Rome will uh, are are planning on ratifying uh, the tax deal. And then the implementation is going to start. So uh, Olaf Scholz, the German finance minister, thinks it will be tight, but it's manageable to get that multinational tax deal uh, implemented by 2023, Steve.
0: Yeah, and, and stay with us on this one because I think there's, there are many, many aspects to this. Not least how President Biden gets this through Congress as well. But we'll come back to this because you're, you're going to come back to us in a few moments' time. Uh, in the meantime, the EU looks like it's well. It's my read says set to shelve plans. Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to just adjust that. Shelve plans for now. And I think it's very important. The EU is set to shelve plans for now uh, on a DSL, a digital services levy, digital tax reform after G20 finance ministers, uh, as we just heard from Manetta, secured a deal over global corporate levies. Now, according to media reports, that is the case. The bloc will aim to revisit the proposal proposal. And that's why it's only shelved for now uh, in the autumn. This amid US concerns that the move could derail global tax negotiations. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is expected to discuss the matter with the EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen this week, Aaron.
1: Well, Steve, ECB President Christine Lagarde has said the central bank will revise its guidance at its next policy meeting later this month. Speaking to Bloomberg, Lagarde said the new guidance will reflect the ECB's commitment to spare inflation. Following last week's new strategy announcement that it would tolerate inflation overshooting over its 2% target, Well, rates remain at record low levels. Uh, Let's get back out to Aneta for more on this in Venice. Aneta, we saw Christine Lagarde buy some cover for the ECB last week on the back of their strategic review where there was an alteration to the way they will uh, target inflation. What does that mean now as we talk about changes to guidance this month? What are we dealing with?
3: So it's an interesting animal because it could be actually premature to, um, oh, that what she is saying as well, to cut, um, the pace of purchases like some hawks are demanding for. So see she's essentially also saying that, um, even when the PEP program officially expired by March 2022, it could like transition into some sort of other form of program. So I guess what the ECB tries to convey is that they Keep on doing forceful monetary policy action. That's what she was saying in her press conference also on Thursday until inflation is back at the target. And the target is now very precise. It's 2%, not less than 2%, and we are far away from it. And um, I caught up here on the ground in Italy with the governor of the Bank of Italy, Ignazio Visco, and he also was saying that listen, look at the inflation where it is and look at what we have to do it's quite clear that we cannot stop the program as of yet and also not reduce reduces because we're not at the target take a listen
2: obviously this is an emergency program which had to do with the um, effects of the pandemic the effects of the pandemic are not only on the volatility of markets but also on the ability to go back to the two percent aim and therefore until we are not well uh, somehow uh, moving uh, towards that target. I think we have to maintain all our instruments and we will discuss them in our meetings. Uh, uh, Obviously, this is uh, uh, something that is both data-driven and uh, it's not path-dependent, it is state-dependent. So this is really what, what we have to do, observe, understand, and then decide.
3: Um, We're talking about forceful monetary policy action to get inflation back to that 2% target, which is now a firm target. So, but in other words, if you look at inflation now, that means that we still need a lot of support for the next years. Is that a right interpretation? Well, it,
2: it, it is not clear. It is, I said, uh, data dependent. It, uh, there is still uh, substantial lack in the, in the European economy. Uh, this slack is uh, not equally distributed across countries. The governing council has to look at the uh, inflation rate in the euro area, not in, single, in individual countries. Each country's uh, inflation rates are changes in relative prices, if you want, not in the absolute price level. So, so we have really to, to observe that. We are still now projecting uh, inflation to be at around 1.4, 1.5% in, in, the, in the medium term. So this has to be 2% in the medium term. And when we will, it will be 2% in the medium term, we will be glad having achieved that result.
3: I think analysts are very interested about your, the ECB's reaction function compared to the Fed's reaction function, because the Fed is actively allowing overshooting for the time it ha- inflation has undershot. So how is the ECB's function differing or is it not different?
2: Well, we have discussed plenty length on this. There are some of us who think that it's different, some of us who think that it's <laughs> not think? that different. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Uh, we are not uh, having a price level targeting. That is, we are not compensating for what we missed. Uh, But on the other hand, we look look to the future, and looking to the future, we have really to realise whether we are far or not from our aim. And if we are close, as I said, to the lower bound, that is, we can not use our interest rates, effectively we have to do all the rest to be very forcefully uh, going in that direction.
3: So it's a very interesting time the ECB is currently in. If you look at the minutes of the of the last policy session, then it's clear that there's a growing rift again inside the governing council, the likes of Weidmann from Bundesbank, uh, also publicly arguing for uh, a reduction in the pace of the uh, purchase rate uh, under the PEPs uh, and others, uh, like for example, Wisco being more on the, not more, but being clearly in the camp of the doves who are saying, We are nowhere there where we need to be, so we cannot withdraw monetary stimulus. And of course, the inflation rates, again, across the Eurozone are very much differing, whereas in Germany, we might see inflation as high as 4% by the end of this year. The situation is different here. For example, in Italy, we have different labor markets. So we are, again, in a situation where there is an uneven recovery taking place, and the ECB has the very tricky and difficult job to do, to do monetary policy for a currency area, which is not the same. But to be fair, the U.S. is not the same as well. They have different economic developments across their country, um, but still the Fed is doing one monetary policy as well. The only thing which is mo- different is that they have a proper common market. They have a proper common labor market, which is not really the, the case here in the Eurozone. But to sum it up, it looks like the ECB will not draws the stimulus very soon, It is. It, it will rather maintain a very high level of stimulus for the next coming years in order to push inflation back to 2% on a sustainable basis. What we are currently seeing, policymakers are thinking it's just a one-off inflation post-pandemic effect. Steve?
0: Yeah, yeah, but, but uh, Annette, I've actually got myself up here a chart of... Um... Uh, Of inflation levels across the Eurozone, since pretty much the, the whole history of the Eurozone as well. Uh, and what it shows me is that there was stability in the inflation rate around about 2% to 2.2% uh, for most of the first 10 years of the eurozone. Thereafter, there was a huge amount more oscillation on the chart. But the problem with the chart, and then anyone who looks at this will, will know the same point, is that the oscillation came to the downside. Very few episodes of inflation at or above 2% for a consistent period of time over the history of the last, and I'm going to go back here about 13 years, Uh, of the Eurozone as well. So what does this meaningfully actually result in for a large number of our viewers who are out there who are A, trading the bond markets and looking at these extraordinarily low historic levels, or or B, actually for those viewers of ours, and there are some out there still, who have savings and are actually hoping for a bit of inflation as well. It just seems to me we're talking about something, and I appreciate what you were saying about German inflation perhaps peaking towards the end of this year, by and large, a a, a figure north of 2% sustainability, according to a, a lot of the historical data, it's just not gonna happen for a very long time. So what are the actual ramifications for our viewers?
3: Yeah, well, the actual ramification for our viewers is that they can uh, most likely, I mean, I, I I also don't have the crystal ball, but most likely um, make a strategy uh, on the basis that the ECB will k- keep the interest rates on, on the lower bound because they don't want to have a tightening of financial conditions. They want to have a strong recovery of the eurozone. And this moves in tandem with the fiscal support we are seeing. We're not talking only about recovery from a crisis. Now, we're also talking about a whole transformation of the economy. You shouldn't forget that because the whole greening aspect uh, moves into that. And all the funds now being channeled into uh, projects which uh, are deemed to make the eurozone more productive, it will last or it will take uh, quite some time. And during that time, the ECB most likely will be very, very supportive and we are not going to see higher rates as uh, most likely the Fed will install at some point in time. And the Eurozone as such has much more slack in their economy, lo- much less dynamic than the US, and this has to be addressed. And if they're not succeeding, I guess it will take a very long time until we see higher rates in the Eurozone, Steve.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that, that seems a given. Uh, how was Italy, by the way? Was it, was it noisy last night?
3: <laughs> actually I didn't hear a lot because we are in Venice and here are no cars so I think that's that makes it uh, much much better in terms of sleeping and I didn't watch it either sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> well the gondoliers not out honking their horns and that anyway yeah absolutely I did watch most of it but I, I, I couldn't watch the shootout I've got too much history on that front uh being a long-term English sports fan ah, yeah. uh, excellent so work Annette. we'll you. catch up with you a little bit later I'm so on sorry No, don't be worried. We won the cricket. That's the bit I went to anyway. Uh, Right. okay. Quite as big a bet, though, I have to be honest. Uh, Thank you for that. We'll see you a little bit later on. So coming up on this show, China's central bank looks to boost the recovery as it eases reserve requirements. Eases reserve requirements already. There's so much um, stimulus going in. We'll have more on this after the break. Plus, Karen.
1: And for plenty more from the G20's meeting in Italy, you can check out the Sportbox podcast.
0: Right, let's talk about this China move as well. Absolutely fascinating that the Chinese Central Bank has slashed the level of cash that lenders must hold in their reserve. Now, this is a move which will free up around $154 billion in liquidity. It's the first time since April 2020 that the People's Bank of China has cut the reserve requirement ratio uh, for banks. The PBOC said the move will allow banks to repay their medium term lending facility loans adding that its monetary policy remains unchanged. Well, Karen, I think we've got time for a very brief chat on this one as well. Um, absolutely fascinating looking at the rationale for this as well. Uh, well, High Frequency Economics' is Carl Weinberg's team are just saying look to the GDP data at the tail end of this week. That He believes that potentially uh, the, the PBOC would have been privy uh, to uh, maybe an early look at that data and real concerns about disappointing data at the moment as well. They're expecting the second quarter report on GDP uh, to grow at just over 3.9% on an adjusted annualized rate. Now it's better than the annualized 5.2% rate of decline adjusted in the first quarter, but not enough to get GDP on track to achieve its targets for the year. So perhaps privy to that information after pretty weakish inflation data. We've spoken a lot about inflation uh, in the States and in the euro area as well. The most recent CPI was lacklustre at best. So perhaps, perhaps what we've got coming is a whole set of data, including retail sales, industrial production and fixed investment for June uh, that are going to be underwhelming. And perhaps that's why uh, the PVOC has gone with this on the reserve ratio requirement. Karen,
1: a real signalling function here. Don't forget last time we saw this uh, cut to the triple R was at the height of the pandemic back in April last year. So the Chinese certainly sending out a very strong signal here about some policy tweaking. The question is whether this is a sign of some loosening or whether it's just merely fine-tuning or tweaking at this point. But analysts are very keen to point out you may have seen these peak COVID trends have reached that uh, final endpoint now. And don't think we're still dealing with them in Western nations as we talk about a chip shortage, labor shortages, pent up demand that is uh, stimulating the swing away from products and to services. But China may be through it. And uh, you just mentioned Carl Weinberg. Well, they put out a very fascinating report about the commodities market, that you've now got that pullback. If you look at the pricing since May, some of these commodities down nine odd percent. So they think that you may have gone peak pricing too on the commodities market, which is very key as we talk about the triple R and the link that that sends to the commodity markets, say six or nine months down the track. So very significant commentary, I think, and uh, we're going to get inflation on this two out of the United States this week. That's going to be quite key as we talk about these pandemic trends. But I think a lot of market uh, participants paying close attention to this triple R for the signalling around inflation today.
0: Yeah, I think you make a great point. I mean, the, the only. Divergence I would have for you there is of, of, of all the commodities, perhaps the most important one out there for the greasing the wheels of the global economy. Literally, it is your price, and yet it's barely off its most recent high. So I think there's something very interesting going on there, despite all the shenanigans and ructions that we've had reported from Dan and Hadley about OPEC plus. We still don't seem to have much of a break in the price there. We're, we're a buck or so uh, above our couple of year high. So quite extraordinary stuff. Um, Let's carry on this conversation later because there's other stories we need to get to, including China's Ministry of Commerce has accused the U.S. of a serious breach of trade rules. Uh, This after the Biden administration added 23 Chinese entities to an economic blacklist. Beijing said it resolutely opposes the move, uh, warning it will take necessary measures to safeguard its interests. The U.S. Commerce Department cited alleged human rights abuses in Shenzhen uh, as it announced the additions.
1: China's cyberspace watchdog has expanded a clampdown on overseas listings as it issued new rules requiring companies to undergo a security review before a foreign IPO. The regulations will apply to any company with data on over 1 million users. The move comes just over a week after regulators launched a probe into Didi Chuxing following its US listing. Meanwhile, the country's antitrust regulator has blocked Tencent's $5.3 billion merger of two of China's biggest video game streaming sites. Emily filed this report from Hong Kong.
4: Chinese regulators have blocked the merger of two video game streaming sites, Huya and Douyu, on antitrust grounds. Gaming and social media giant Tencent holds more than a one-third stake in each of these companies, and shares of Tencent traded in Hong Kong under pressure, down more than 2%. The state administration of market regulation says the merger would create a combined market share in video game live streaming of more than 70 percent and strengthen Tencent's dominance in the market. Huya and Douyu are number one and number two in popularity, respectively, so the merger would eliminate or restrict their competition. Tencent said it will abide by this decision, comply with all regulatory requirements, operate in accordance with applicable laws and regulations, and fulfill its social responsibilities. China tech stocks continue to be under the regulatory spotlight. I'm Emily Tan in Hong Kong. Back to you.